This podcast may contain graphic and or explicit content that may not be suitable for some listeners, especially kids like me. <laughs> Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to the Real Life Podcast brought to you by the Thin Blue Line for Women. In this podcast, We open up and talk about real-life issues as they relate to first responders. It's raw, it's real, and it's about time. I'm Tamara, your host. Thanks for joining me. Don't forget, you can listen to The Real Life Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Casts, and on YouTube. Thank you for joining us. Today I'm being joined by a full-time law enforcement officer, Scott Cherry, who's also an award-winning author. He is going to come on our show right now and talk about what it's like to be a law enforcement officer. He's going to talk about a little bit of that. And we're going to hear from his wife shortly. And then we're going to talk about the four books that he's written. And he goes under the pen name William Mark. So when you look for him on Amazon, you're going to have to look for William Mark. So Scott, Scott Cherry, how are you today? Thank you for joining me. I'm good. Thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. Before we start our interview, go ahead and give us a little background about yourself. Um, Well, I'm born and raised in Tallahassee, Florida. Um, I've been married for 15 years, almost 15 years, and we have three kids, uh, girl, boy, boy, and that's 12, 9, and 6. Big sports fan. I love Florida State and all their sports. Um, Graduated from Florida State. And a huge CrossFitter. <laughs> you can see my face. I went, ugh. <laughs> Go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, that's all right. Um, I've been, like I said, I've been writing for, and we'll get a little bit more into that, for pretty much most of my adult life. Um, been a police officer for almost 19 years. And um, that's about it in a nutshell. So you were born and raised in Tallahassee, Florida? Yes. Okay, so you've been there a long time. It's warm there today, right? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, upper Lucky. 80s. <laughs> Lucky. So in the beginning, what led you to become an officer? You've been doing this almost 19 years. Where did that decision come from? Um, I'm not sure where the first idea came. I guess it was probably like most little boys. They wanted to, you know, be a cop, chase bad guys, stuff like that. Um, and as I got closer to finishing school and everything, um, I worked at a grocery store and I had thought about staying there and I kind of saw the managers and the people that worked there and they did the same thing every day, every day. (laughs) And that nauseated me. And I was like, well, what could I do that would be fun and interesting and be different every day? And police work came right in my, right back to my forefront. So I concentrated a little bit more on that and got into it and, um, 
and that was it. Uh, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I train rookie, uh, young officers now, but I, you know, I was faced with the same question. Why do you want to be a cop? And, uh, I mean, I do, I do enjoy helping people. It's, um, you know, the underlying motivation, but I, uh, I wasn't going to lie and say that I like chasing bad guys and driving <laughs> fast and right. shooting guns, stuff like that. Awesome. So what assignments have you worked during this last almost 19 years? Oh, name, them let's, name them all. All right. So yeah. I've been on patrol, uh, our cop squad, which is our community orating policing squad. Um, let's see from that. I went to FTO for our tra- field training officer. Uh, then I went into investigations. I did uh, uh, burglaries for a little bit and then robbery and homicide. Uh, and then recently back out on the road and back into field training. I've been doing that for, yeah, oh, little, yeah, a little over two years. Had to think about that. Um, <laughs> and I've been on our TAC team, which is our SWAT team, for the last 10 years. Oh, wow. Okay. I can't wait to ask your wife what she feels about that. <laughs> yeah. So which assignment has been your favorite so far? Um. <laughs> well, I'd have to say homicide. Wow. That was that was my that was one of my career goals. I I wanted to work and solve a murder. Um I did that. Um I did it for uh worked robbery and homicide for seven and a half years. So um it didn't come without cost. Oh yeah. Um but it is what I'm definitely most proud of. Oh, I bet. Have you read my book yet? Uh, no, I've not had a chance yet. Okay. I just can't imagine you working in homicide for seven years. And cause I, you know, <laughs> I, the most our people worked in that was about two. It's very, very difficult to be in a homicide unit. Yeah. The way we had it was I worked technically worked robbery, but you know, when, when a homicide went out, we went right there with them and we were working. I worked second, um, the second, you know, the, you had a lead and then you had a secondary and I was second uh, on a lot of them and got my hands dirty in a lot of them, worked a lot of crime scenes. And then when I was officially in homicide, which I did for three and a half years where I was lead mm-hmm. um, or primary or I'm sorry, secondary and uh, on a lot of them. Wow. So I, so that was the one you were most proud of. Um and I guess that's your favorite, but you like training too, because that's what you're doing now. Yes, yeah. I, I've, yeah, I've become, I've become um, the uh, an instructor in all the high liabilities, um, driving, oh, yeah. shooting, and um, and defense tactics, and uh, been yeah field training officer, and I actually do a lot of training out at the academy as well. Nice. So, what? Tell me, what type of call is the call that you hate responding to? There has to be one. Everybody has one. Oh my goodness! Uh, there's so many. I know. Um, the the one that just absolutely irritates me the most is calls where there is a basically a dispute where there's no crime, and people expect me to solve their problems in a mm-hmm. five minute window gap. They expect me to take somebody to jail when there hasn't been a crime. I I, I hate that. Um, uh, and then, uh, and then just for, you know, I I hate any kind of crime against a young child. Um, those, those hurt my heart. Yeah, I bet. 
So it's, I was going to ask you what your pet peeves were, but it sounds like your pet peeve is people (laughs) calling to have you, uh, be their counselor, I guess. And we are counselors when we go to work, right? Yeah. But, yeah. And those, and when somebody really needs help and they just don't have anywhere to turn, that's fine. I don't mind talking to people. I enjoy that. Actually, I think homicide work prepared me the most for that um, because you really see it. I mean, it is really a different world working at a homicide and diving into somebody's life um, and their family's life um, on that level. Mm-hmm. And um, and then and then talking to a, a person who has committed murder, um, and learning about them and their background, and it just really prepared me to have a, a lot more of a compassionate heart dealing with people who have who truly have problems. Yeah, it, those I don't mind. It's the people who just depend on us that don't even offer. They don't even think about anything else. They just like I just need you to tell me the answer. what do you have any other pet peeves at work like maybe with other officers yeah avoidance and laziness Mm -hmm. just people who avoid it or just just being flat out lazy and not doing their job not writing a report going 10-8 yeah so when do you plan on retiring you're almost at 20 years i don't know what what florida's retirement plan is like but i got out at 20 yeah, uh, unfortunately, it's not twenty. It's uh, our max retirement um, is twenty five. Okay. Um, and then we do have the option for drop. Um, I'm still a little too far out. I don't plan on doing drop. Um, I would like to. Um, I would like to leave right at twenty five years. Okay, for those of us who don't know what drop is, what does uh, that mean? Just getting out uh, early. Uh, no, it's deferred retirement. So basically, I keep working. I I'm technically retired, but I keep working, and my retirement checks go into a an, an extra account, interest oh. earning account, and I can do that up to five years. Oh my gosh! So, I've, I've never heard of that. Yeah, yeah. That we've had that in Florida for a a long time. Wow. And, that, and, and not just in law enforcement, but state, um, state government, everything. So you're retiring officially. You're, you're officially still going retired. To work every day. Still, still working, still getting your paycheck as you would normally, and your retirement check goes into a oh. special interest-bearing account. Okay. Wow. So you're double dipping, kind of, but legally. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Okay. So. So you've been married, you said 15 years, you have three children. Is your wife, Lisa, available? I want to ask her some questions. Yes. Um, it is difficult to be married to a law enforcement officer. And, I would agree. And uh, there's a lot of questions I have for her, but, but you know, I, I'm going to let her, I'm going to let her talk at her will. Um we have a lot of listeners out there who are law enforcement officers and also who just support law enforcement officers. So we want to hear from Lisa. All right. Lisa, hello. How are you? I'm doing well. How about you? Good, good. Very good. Thank you for for saying it's okay to to join me here. So tell me, he can't hear me, right? No. Do I like this? He's going to just try to guess. So you've been married 15 years. Almost, you yeah. went into this marriage 
and he was already an officer. So tell us how that went. Like we're like when you started dating and you were engaged, how did that, how did that play out in your mind? Like, Oh no, I'm going to marry an officer. Or was it like, Oh yay, I'm going to marry an officer. Like how, how was that process for you? Well, you know, you're young and dumb and in love. And so whatever they want to do, you want to support. Um, no, the reality is we started dating pretty young. Um, and he was already on track to become a police officer when we started dating. So I already knew that that was in the works and that was part of him. And if I was going to come along, that was part of our journey together. So it didn't surprise me and I knew what I was getting into. So now that he's been doing it for 19 years, have you seen, and I know he's right next to you, so I hope he doesn't, hope he doesn't smack you. (laughs) Have you seen a change in him over 19 years? Yes. Um, You know, with this job, there's so many things, but I've seen good things change and I've also seen hard things. Um, I don't think anyone can be in his line of work and see all the things he does without it doing permanent, you know, permanently affecting him in some way. Um, He is wiser with what he does as far as patrolling. Um, He is not so quick to want to chase people and get into the hot pursuits. Um, he's really good about using his words now to get out of high, um, high adrenaline situations rather than, you know, the first instinct when your younger officer is just the more aggressive. Um, and so he's gotten better with that. And he also has just a lot of lessons that he's able to pass on to our kids um, just from all the things he's seen. So I definitely think he's changed. Right. Um, but also his, you know, trust for people is different, you mm-hmm. know, when you're younger and you're just like, I love everybody and everyone's great and everyone has the best intentions when you show up at a call and every time you're someone's worst part of their day um, and you're showing up at that every time you go to a call, it really does kind of take a toll on your faith in humanity in some ways. Um Not across the board, but definitely he just sees what most of us don't see. And so any situation we go into, I mean, no matter what it is, he's always just has different background information that the average person doesn't. Right. Now, when you are all out, not not right now because of COVID-19, but when you're all out somewhere at a mall or at a restaurant, do you notice him being more protective of you now than he was 19 years ago? Um, I actually don't. Um I feel like I have learned so much as just being a police wife. Um, Just, I mean, things, just always aware of your surroundings, always watching things. I'm very cautious of where I go, um, not to inhibit my lifestyle or anything, but I just have all these tools that I've learned. And so sometimes I actually get onto him because I'm like, are you even worried that I'm going out to this part of town and doing this? And he's like, no, because I trust you and I know your judgment, but um, it's always been a, just a known that when we go to a restaurant, he always has to sit in a certain spot. He always mm-hmm. has to be able to see the exit and entrance. And so it's just kind of a role we play that I so that know where comes, my spot is. Yeah, yeah. It just comes with the territory. You're used to it now. Yeah. Now, what about your children? Now, they obviously know dad's a cop, but are there, are there certain days when he comes home, you know, in like a more somber mood or they, like dad doesn't want to talk right now and you have to explain that to them? Yes, because there's times where, especially when he worked um, 
you know, when he was doing homicide and he would be gone for, you know, he'd come home from work and then a couple hours later get called out for an all night investigation. And so for them just to understand the next day that he doesn't really feel like playing Legos or reading a book or just the things, um, just dealing with, you know, confrontation with our kids. He just sometimes is a little bit shorter um, than he would have been normally just because he's carrying so much other things in his mind. Um, so he's been really good about knowing when to come home and he's able to kind of decompartmentalize, but more so now that he's back on patrol. But when he was working, you know, robbery and homicide, he was just kind of always thinking of those things. And so it, it was hard to just shut off um, when it came right. to our kids' activities. But they've gotten really, really good. And their favorite thing is to hear his stories. And, you know, he kind of, you know, makes them more child friendly. Um, but that's say. Their <laughs> part of their day at the dinner table is, yeah, tell us some cool stories. Oh, but they amazing. definitely understand. Yeah. He just needs some time where he just can process and kind of just needs a break from people. And that takes a very special uh, woman. That takes a very special wife, you know, for, for, for you to understand that he needs that and not get offended, you know, that's yeah. very, so, so I commend you for that. Oh, so thank you. So um, to sum up your portion of the interview, can you tell other wives out there who are becoming police officer wives or are already the, uh, the wives of police officers, can you give them any words of wisdom or advice? Um, first get a dog. <laughs> um, that was the first thing I did when he became an officer because he worked midnights and we had this house and I was just scared to be there at night. Wow. Um, so the first thing is I got a companion. Um, wow. but really I just think that you have to flow with them because they do change from the beginning to the end. And it's a very stressful job and it's stressful for us because we can't relate. I don't know. I'll never know what all he does and all the things he sees, um, even though we communicate well, it's just there's part of him that I'm not going to relate to. So I think for future other wives, I think a key is still to commun communicate the best you can. Um, I really let him just process as much as he wants about his day. And if he doesn't want to talk about it, that's fine. But if he wants to tell me every little detail, that's fine, too. And also, I think that's been really important for us um, is to find something you're you have in common too, that you can do not just that's not work related because he can relate to other cops and about, but I can't ever relate to that. So for us to have something that's more, not just our kids and our house, but outside um, mm -hmm. that we have in common to connect us so that when he doesn't want to talk about cop stuff and, you know, me just being a stay at home mom and not really having any cool stories to share that we still have something else in common that just right. keeps us connected. Very good advice, Lisa. Thank you for your time. I You're super welcome. appreciate it. Thank now, you. Let me talk to your husband again. Thank you, Scott. That was very, very awesome. You're welcome. She's a keeper. Uh, yeah, I think so. And three beautiful kids who I'm seeing. I get I get the joy of seeing um, these kids in the background where our, our listeners don't get that. So, um. You're also an author and you've written four books. We're going to take a quick break and come back and dive right into those. We'll be right back. Are you looking for Thin Blue Line gear? It's available on our website at thinbluelineforwomen.com. That's thinblueline, the number four, women.com. Show your support for law enforcement and get your Thin Blue Line gear today. Just click on shop 
at thinbluelineforwomen.com. Are you interested in CSI or forensics? The Forensic Science Academy program has been recognized as the premier training program completely dedicated to students who are launching their forensic career. The Academy offers specialized hands-on training modules in basic and advanced crime scene investigation, forensic photography, fingerprint identification and classification, crime scene management, and coroner investigations. Instruction is offered in the form of weekend workshops, online courses, webinars, and seminars. Training at the Academy of Forensic Science will give students the competitive edge employers and agencies are looking for when hiring. Past graduates are now working as crime scene investigators, private investigators, forensic pathologists, coroner investigators, forensic nurses, forensic accountants, and even criminalists. The courses are taught by forensic professionals who are experts in the field and hold membership in the International Association for Identification and other professional forensic organizations. For more information, visit ForensicScienceAcademy.org. Again, that's ForensicScienceAcademy.org. And we're back from break. So before we dive into the four books, tell us about when you started actually writing. Um, so when I was in college, um, I, I just had the bug to write and it was more of a hobby than anything. It wasn't anything I really took serious. Um, but I had a great idea for a story and I just, I just like to, I just like to write. And, um, I had several book ideas and I wrote several of them and, but it wasn't until I had the idea for, from behind the blue line that I actually pushed it forward. Um, and I was, I was challenged in a very unlikely, um, spot, very unlikely situation. And I basically just, I just went for it and, and I've, and four books later, here we are. Wow. So, okay. So what genre do you write about? All cop stuff, right? Uh, I, yeah, I call them crime thrillers. Um, I, I like the idea. Um, I, and I do have several other ideas for, books beyond what I've written that are more suspense thriller than crime. Um, so yeah, I just stick with suspense thriller, but currently okay, so, crime thriller. Yeah. So when I went on Amazon to look at your books, I watched two trailers and I have to say just after, after what I've gone through my 15 years in CSI and then I wrote my book, I'm not going to read two of your books. So I'm just going to admit that right now. I'm not doing it. <laughs> um, so, so tell us about the books called Lost in the Darkness and then Where the Light Cannot Reach. Th right. Those are called Crusaders of the Lost, book one and book two. Tell yes. us about that process and about those books. All right. So those books, um, those books are a little bit more um, of me flexing my imagination and writing. Um, they, the first book follows uh, the Crusaders. So they are um, a group of individuals who have been brought together um, in an unlikely scenario. And they go around the country looking for lost children, for missing children. 
Um, and it's not the runaways and the, the high risk kids or anything like that. These are the ones that you don't hear about the ones that are abducted or the ones that, um, are taken at a young age and brainwashed and, and reintegrated in a, a family, you know, kind of thing. So, um, so they go around the country looking for these children and they use um, less than legal means to do so um, because that's the end result is to get the children back, not for prosecution, not for putting bad guys in jail, but simply to get the children back. So that's kind of the cost. Um, however, uh, my main, my main character is uh, Kurt Walker, who is a, um, was a detective in, in, uh, Tallahassee, Florida. Um, and his son had gone missing. And so that's what motivates him because his son went missing without a trace and, um, from a baseball field, right? Yes. From a softball field. And, okay. uh, a lot, a lot of people yelled at me for that. Um, well, because- I'm, I'm going to interrupt you briefly because I went through a really bad homicide scene where a 13 year old, well, maybe she was 12. I think she was 13 was murdered at a baseball diamond. And I've, I spent 12 hours out there. So right when I saw that trailer for your book and I saw that field, I went, Nope, not doing it. So go ahead. I didn't yeah. interrupt. Sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that that's going to happen in, in these yeah. kind of books. So, right. Um, so the book basically opens up and follows the Crusaders. Um, they, I introduce a new character um, at the same time, um, and uh, she joins the she joins the group, and they basically go around the country uh, looking for lost children. Um, and and lost in the darkness, um, we learn about Kurt's son, um, and. I don't want to spoil it from there, but it's, it's a page turner. It is a full gas pedal from, from beginning to end. Um, and, uh, it's a wild ride. So that, that one's titled lost in the darkness and that came out April, 2015, correct? Correct. Okay. It, it doesn't sound like I couldn't read it. The, the trailer looked very scary to me. The trailer yeah. was very scary. Which which was your point, I'm sure. So, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I should give it a chance. I don't know. Well, <sighs> I, I'll, I will tell you this. Um, those books, and I plan to write a series, and I have a great idea for a next one. Um, but I tell you what, um, the one of the main themes of those books is, is victim advocacy. It is... Okay. Because that's why they get the child back and don't worry right. about prosecution or anything. It's because it's right. about the victim. Mm-hmm. And I really try to keep that theme going of trying to make the victim whole. And I think um, I'm really proud of a couple of the moments and stuff that that goes uh, that go on in the first book. Um, and uh, and I and it spills over into the second one. So. Um, so, and the second one is where light cannot reach. Correct. Um, okay. And it's, it, and yeah. So in the first book, um, Kurt Walker is the main character. Um, and it's basically from his point of view. Um, but at the beginning, I introduce uh, Rachel Goodwin. Um, and she, and, and the one thing about all the characters in the Crusaders is they, they're all picked for a reason. 
Uh, Rachel was abducted herself along with her sister. She was able to escape her captor. Her sister was not and remained still missing. Oh, okay. Um, and I go and introduce all the other characters as well. Um, now, where light cannot reach is uh, more or less Rachel's story. Um, and it dives into her past um, and her sister being missing. Okay. So. Wow. That sounds so interesting. I, I'm going to, I'm going to try. I'll try to read them. Now talk about your other two books from behind the blue line and crossing the blue line. And those are fiction as well, correct? Yeah. Yes. They're all fiction. They're all fiction. Um, uh, so from behind the blue line was my first. Um, I actually had, okay. So my two characters, Dylan Akers and Bo Rivers, they, they're police officers at, in the Tallahassee police department. And, um, Dylan's daughter is, is, uh, kidnapped and murdered. And, um, and so they, they had taken previously, they had taken two different paths. And Dylan um, is more what you would call the golden boy, um, the chosen one. He moved up the ranks really fast. However, he earned it. Um, he's he's sharp-witted. He's smart. Um, he's a good leader. And Bo is a little bit more reckless. Um, he's an instinctual cop, um, but he does some some questionable things, bad judgment, and, and basically he turns into the black sheep. Um, their relationship has strained, um, from way in the past. And so, um, they, they have a conversation and I, is it an actual conversation that I had with another police officer a long time ago oh, facing wow. the exact same situation? Obviously his daughter wasn't, we had, we had left a call that was very similar to that. Now the, the young girl did not, you know, she was not killed or anything, but, um, there was, uh, some bad violence done to her and and he, my buddy had a young daughter and I had I didn't I wasn't married at the time um, not yet and didn't have any kids and and he was just like I don't know what I would do and so we had one of those real conversations and um, and I'm glad I got to write about it instead of actually face the real problem right, um, right. so I, I took a, a little bit of fantasy out um, and the book is basically written um, to question what justice is. Gotcha. It sounds it sounds very interesting. Yes, I I, uh, I had that. There was a lot of heart and soul put into that book. Yeah. Um, and I got. Is it more about ethical dilemmas? Yes. Okay, so it's like an okay. I, I get it now. It's. <laughs> so, it's it, you are they it's doing the wrong thing for the right reason for the does right that, reason does that yeah. still make it right right yeah and you know what a lot of law enforcement officers are faced with that today absolutely absolutely so that's your book behind the blue line right correct and crossing the blue line is is a sequel so a sequel. i okay. i wrote from behind the blonde as a book that stood alone okay and uh, so I pushed it out and I had a lot of great feedback, a lot of great readers and everybody enjoyed it and they loved it. Mm -hmm. And the overwhelming question was what happens next? 
Oh, okay. So you felt you had to write a part two. I felt a little compelled, but I never <laughs> right. had an idea for what they did. Oh. But I did have an idea for a, a different book, but no characters. And then here I'm faced with characters with no story. So I actually, I merged the two and, and, it, and, and honestly, that's, um, that, that book has won two awards and wow. authors and publishers association, um, gold medals. And I'm very proud of that. And, um, you should be, and yes, thank you. And that book right there. So that there's, again, there's some themes in those books that, um, I, I try to harp on and it's, and it's really, it's reality. Mm-hmm. It is, um, there's a little sensationalism for the fiction, you know, for the, uh, you know, for the reader to right. keep the pages turning. However, the investigations and the, and the situations and everything are very plausible. It says exactly what you could read on the front page of the newspaper. And I use my investigation background to do to to move the characters through the story as a real cop would. And one thing I I I will, you know, any any cop that reads that book, they should see something coming. And a cop will understand exactly where I'm going. <laughs> Non-cops, because I've I've done this. I've asked my cop friends who's read the book, I was like, what'd you think about that whole theme and that whole arc? And they were like, I saw it coming. I loved it. <laughs> uh, and then like, uh, and then people, and, you know, civilians, if you will, just regular readers, they read it and they, they fall for it. They, right. Right. And that was, that was completely done intentional. And this um, is the second, the crossing the blue line. The crossing blue line. Okay. Now I'm getting interested. So I'm glad you I'm talking be. to you. I you am. I am. I'm just a big scaredy cat because I, I, I don't want any, any, post-traumatic stress coming yeah. up when I'm reading your books, you know, but, but it's, I don't know. It's, it's all fiction. I, and I will tell you this, um, cause working in homicide, robbery and homicide, I work very closely with crime scene and I think they are well underpaid and underappreciated. Um, and so anything that is crime scene related that you see mm-hmm. is very meticulous, mm-hmm. uh, and, and taken straight from experience. Good, because that would bug me, and that would be a pet peeve of mine in your book. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> You'd be getting some emails from me, Mister. <laughs> so wait, in Tallahassee, your your CSI aren't sworn officers, like at at our department, no. Oh, they're civilians. They're civilians. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah, no. I guess Sacramento, we just have too much crime. You can't, we're not going to let a civilian go in there and work. There's no way. Yeah. Well, we do. <laughs> yeah, we, well, that's the thing. That's the catch is we have to, we, the sworn have to stay on scene and protect the oh. scene while they work. Oh, gosh. Wow. So you're a man down that whole scene. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's very man. Yeah. For really messy scenes. Yeah. It's very manpowering. Oh, Yeah. Okay, Scott, tell us why you picked the pen name William Mark. Okay, so um, I thought, now again, when I first started writing, um, I thought that's what authors did. I thought that was, I thought you just had to make up a name, right? Um, so <laughs> like, I'm, hat, like it was the law? <laughs> yeah, like that's, that's just what they do. 
uh-huh. um, and later do I find out that no, that's actually not true. A lot of do a lot of them have mm-hmm. pen names, mm-hmm. um, but I I chose this one um, for a reason. Uh, when I first started writing, uh, like I said, I was in college, and my grandfather he owned a bookstore in a small town not too far from Tallahassee. And that was what he did for his retirement. Um, he retired as a professor at a junior college there, and he opened a rare and used bookstore. Oh, and, as a, and as a kid, we used, me, my brother, and my two cousins, we used to go there and, you know, we would work and we would hang out. We would play and read books and whatnot. And, um, and, he, and a lot of my early memories of my grandfather were him sitting in the, la- in the recliner reading a book. And so when I decided I wanted to read a book, I, I went to him at a family gather- gathering. I said, hey, Grandpa. I was like, hey, I'm, I'm going to write a book. And he goes, oh, yeah? And I said, well, this is what it's about. And I told him what it was about, and he looked at me, and he said, you need a love interest. I was like, no, I don't. Wait, and in real life or in the book? In the book. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, yeah, it, yes, in the book. Yeah. Probably in real life, too. Um, so in the book, he said, you need a love interest. And I had never thought of that. And I'm, so I'm shaking my head. No, I don't. And then I gave it like two more seconds of thought and was like, oh, my God. Yes, I do. Of course I do. <laughs> and and I just was like, this is going to be a great relationship. to And this, you know, what a great resource he'll be because he's probably read a thousand books, 10,000 books in his life. Um, and unfortunately, about three, three, four months later, he died of complications from a surgery. And, um, so I actually buried that manuscript with him. Wow. Um, That gives me chills. That's sweet. Um, now I'm going to (laughs) cry. Yeah. So, um, so his name, um, his name was Mark Cherry. That's what he went by. But his actually uh, was Marcus William, uh, and so I just changed it to William Mark. So okay. it's it's uh, that's that's in tribute to him. That's awesome. I love that. That what a good story. So tell me about your writing process. Like, do you have a favorite place to write? Do you like to write in the morning or at night? Like, what do you oh, you do? And, so, and do you have to? I have I have more questions, but go ahead. Start with with those two um <laughs> i don't have a, i don't have a luxury <laughs> of having a favorite place um it's wherever i can get comfortable honestly uh-huh. um i dream one day of being able to sit at a beach in a beach house in a comfortable sitting and because i love the beach Me being too. from florida and uh, i would love just to type away but that <laughs> that doesn't happen um as previously stated uh, married with three children, full-time job and a lot of hobbies. Um, and so I don't get time to write. Um, so I have to squeeze it in. So, um, but my process is that I have the idea in my head. I work on the scene in my head. It sits there and percolates and annoys me until I get it written down. So, I feel like uh, when I do get that time is I'm actually pretty efficient. And I basically, I basically download it onto the page and, and then I can move on. 
Do you use one of those? I don't even know what it's called. Like a big map. You know, you get a big, huge piece of construction paper or a poster right. board, and then you map all your ideas and everything. Do you do you do that? Uh, yeah, storyboard. No, storyboard. That's what it's yeah. called. That's the official word. Yeah. No, no. Um, I okay, have. I uh, so, I have. I have written out outlines. Um, and stuck with it and had notes and I've changed things and everything. Um, and, but, but, um, lost in the darkness, I wrote completely out of my head. Wow. I didn't take, I didn't take the first name. I wrote names down a peripheral character. So I didn't forget who they were. Uh-huh. Right. Um, but, uh, I wrote that completely from memory. Wow. That's interesting. So, I know you have a wife, three kids. I, I'm I'm single with one child. I don't know how, I, I can't even find the time to write my third book. I've been stuck on the first chapter for about three months. I keep promising everyone it's coming, it's coming. And I'm still on chapter one. It's yeah. wonderful. Yeah, I'm halfway in between my fifth book. And uh, um, I have, uh, I've because of life, because of everything, I've lost some motivation. So I'm, I'm really hoping this, um, coming to forefront, run into you and, and, uh, getting this, getting this back out there that it inspire does inspire you. It kickstarts me. Yeah. Cause yeah, yeah. My fifth book is actually completely different from the, all the ones we've talked about. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Absolutely. Um, it actually follows us, um, uh, the story of a retired police officer. His name is Hank Trescott and he was a dedicated homicide investigator um, but had to take an early retirement because his his wife got ill. Um, so he retired a little bit earlier than planned to spend time with his wife who's diagnosed with cancer. And so the basically the story picks up um, the story picks up soon before her death. And before her death, she begs Hank to basically find something when she's gone, find something that motivates him to, to, um, fulfill his life. And he, you know, obviously she passes and, and he's lost. He doesn't know what to do. And so he tries a whole bunch of things, um, that just do not work. And he runs into an old friend, um, from the police department who is, um, hint, hint is probably the, only character that has reappeared in every book. Oh, I love when that happens. Okay. Um, and uh, he runs into him and um, basically convinces him to do, or just thinks about consulting work. And he, he's like, eh, maybe he reaches out to his old department, the Tallahassee police department, and they want him to jump over a few hoops and all that good stuff. So he's just not into that. He's too old. To, he just doesn't want to do that. Um, and so just by happenstance, he runs to a, uh, to a small town in Madison, a uh, small town is, uh, out, out of here and runs into an old bookstore, um, that is run by an, an elderly gentleman who has passed and his grandson is running it. Oh, and, um, okay. just, and just by happenstance, just by occasion, he, um, or I'm sorry, coincidence, he runs into a, an officer who's trying to pick up a book for uh, doing a double shift and she wants to pick up a book and he runs into her and the young, younger guy running the store puts them together because she is, um, she has a cold case that has been haunting her 
for 25 years because it was her, her friend that was murdered. Okay. And that's why she became a police officer and has gone unsolved for 25 years. And so she basically, you know, out of desperation, tries to convince him to help work on the case. And so he does. What a cool storyline. I like yeah. it. That's but- just the that's just the beginning. It gets pretty yeah, it, it un, un unleashes uh some small town politics and hidden secrets and all kind of good stuff. Do you have a title for that one yet? Uh my working title is called Cold Echo. Oh, Cold Echo. Neat. Okay, so where can listeners buy your books? I know Amazon, because I, I looked on Amazon the other day for your books. They're Amazon, all there. Yeah, they're all there. Um, I just will, um, one little caveat is the front, the blue, excuse me, from behind the blue line, mm-hmm. that version is the first edition. Do not buy that one. That is a poorly edited version. <laughs> I do okay. not want that one out. I do, <laughs> I do not want that one out there. I don't know why it's available and my other one's not. So, okay. Um, but yes, Amazon, um, or you can go to my publisher's website, which is SYPpublishing.com. Okay. That's uh, Southern Yellow Pine Publishing. That's actually out of here, out of Tallahassee, Florida. Okay. Um, they have all my books available there. Um, and I believe I believe barnesandnobles.com and um, booksamillion.com and all that gets, all the dot-coms have them. Now, is it available in ebook form as well? There's a lot of people that like ebooks instead Absolutely. of paperback. Okay. Absolutely. They're all available in ebook. And hardback too or just paperback? Um, paper, all paperback. Okay. Awesome. Now, how can listeners reach you and follow you on social media? Under what name? Scott Cherry or William Mark? No. Which name should we follow? No, I don't I don't want uh, Scott Cherry out there associated <laughs> with a book of cops doing questionable no, things. I get it. Um, so, yeah, everything is under William Mark. So I have a Facebook page, William Mark, um, under, under an author page. Um, and then on Twitter, uh, William Mark um, 649, at William Mark 649. Okay. And anything on Instagram? No, I'm not that fancy yet. No. (laughs) Okay. Awesome. What a great interview. Thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. Can you give, can you give the listeners, okay, two pieces of advice before you go? Sure. One is for police officers who are, you're, you're coming up on 19 years and you're doing 19 years. So talk to the cops out there right now and give them, Give them some words of encouragement for remaining positive, especially during COVID-19. Okay. Um, The easiest piece with regards to COVID and whatnot is it's going to pass. It's going to pass and, um, and we'll all get through it and we'll be done and we'll go back to normal. Um, My best advice to, for cops is to remain um, true to why you're doing this. Um, remember that you can have a bad day. Um, things can got, can not go your way in life. You can get passed over for that promotion. Um, or your dog can run away or that car got dinged by your teenager or whatever. But when that victim needs help, um, you're it and you have to be on your A game for that. So remember why we do this. Uh, remember Remember what's really important. Um, and um, 
and yeah, for those who are who are carrying a torch, um, I got your back, and a lot of people do, and you're going to need it. Now, a bit of advice for authors out there who are stuck, like me, who cannot get the second chapter written of their book. Um, that one's a lot easier. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, for any author who or any writer who wants to be an author and any author who's stuck, um, it is basically just force yourself to write. Write one sentence. Write one word. Write one sentence and walk away. Come back. And because that drain may be clogged for, for just a second, it, I promise you, all you have to do is sit down, write one sentence, and then you'll look at it and you'll be like, that's terrible. And then you'll rewrite it. And then it'll just, it'll come unplugged and then it'll flow. Um, so just, it is persistency. It is um, perseverance. That's the name of the game in the writing. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on and talking during this episode. Scott, you're awesome. So you're uh, an award-winning author. You're also a law enforcement officer. Um, Thank your wife also, Lisa, for talking to me. And I really appreciate her too. So so again, you can find his books on Amazon and go to sypublishing.com. They're also available on Barnes & Noble. So we've got Behind the Blue Line, Crossing the Blue Line, And then we've got Lost in the Darkness and Where Light Cannot Reach. So again, all available on Amazon.com. And Scott, thank you so, so much for your time. Thank you very much. Have you ever wondered what being a part of CSI is really like? If so, here's your chance to experience it. My book titled Through My Eyes, CSI Memoirs That Haunt the Soul, contains 11 personal accounts of the most grueling and heartbreaking crime scenes I worked during my 15 years in the Crime Scene Investigations Unit. While reading my book, you'll walk inside the crime scene tape with me. You'll catch a glimpse of what I saw, touched, smelled, and even tasted during an average workday. I'll take you on a difficult journey of memories, uncovering layers of emotional trauma left behind. So if you're considering a job in CSI, this is the book for you or if you're just wondering what it's like to work in CSI. Again, this is the book for you. Through My Eyes is available in the ebook format and paperback on Amazon. The Real Life Podcast was recorded and is being made available by Anchor.fm and its affiliates solely for the informational and entertainment purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided and or expressed on the Real Life Podcast are entirely those of the host, guests, and callers, and are responsible for all show content and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the agencies and communities that the guests may serve. Some parts of the Real Life Podcast may contain adult content intended for people who are 18 years of age or older. Please listen responsibly.